Hello, everybody. Today we are discussing a topic I believe all of you should be interested in and have a lot of your own personal perspectives about. And that is, if we were to think about life as a game, how can you approach or strategize optimizing your life towards your goals? And more specifically, how can you or should you think about kind of societal views on the current metagame for success? And what does that even mean? And so on today with us, we have Moritz Bayer-Lentz, who most recently is a, a kind of a new role heading up gaming investments at Lightspeed Venture Partners. So congrats on that, Moritz. And someone who I would say has followed a very non-traditional career path and who's thought pretty deeply about life as a game. And that's really the topic that I wanted to talk to you about today, Moritz. Um, you've also thought a lot about kind of breaking convention, especially with respect to traditional perspectives on achieving life goals. And so that will be the focus of our discussion today. I'm really looking forward to it. Welcome, Moritz. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> so I, I thought we could kick things off with just starting with a fundamental question. So, you know, one of the things that you talked to me about is thinking about life as a game and the this notion of a meta. So maybe we could start with that. In what ways do you consider life to be a game? And maybe you can also explain this concept of what a meta is in a game and how that applies to life. Yeah, happy to. So I think when I say looking at life as a game, it's it's less um, this idea that's often also floating around, you know, this um, philosophical uh, armchair experiment of is is life a video game or is life a simulation? Is there like a, a greater species or a greater mind that, you know, uh, has, has created effectively a very convincing virtual reality uh, <laughs> that, that, that we all call base reality? I think that's interesting in itself, but that's a little bit less what I'm after when I say approaching life as a video game. To me, okay. um, it's really about the question that like, can life be played similar to how we approach video games, especially in competitive multiplayer video games. Um, I say that because I believe we can reduce almost everything we do in life down to work and play. And it's very easy to forget the play part. Um, there's a lot of books written about this too, some even reaching back a few decades. Um, play effectively is a safe experimentation where failure has limited consequences. And you see that not only in humans, you see that in animals too, in monkeys, you know, little monkeys that are running around, jumping around, seeing if they can make a certain leap or what happens when you throw a stone against this wall. Um, and this is all important life lessons learned when it matters, which is work, which is, you know, for, for humans uh, escaping the saber-toothed tiger, you know, you kind of like want to know all the, the ins and outs of, of your body and, and what you can do and, and how you can react. And so I think even a lot of high performers are extremely good at work, but they're not often great at play. Um, and, and I'm happy to tease out a little bit what that means. Um, you know, going go into the meta, um, I guess, yeah. you know, by, by and large, the meta in, in the video game or loosely defined would be, you know, the, the summary of all the, the gameplay elements, systems, mechanics, core loops that are associated with making progress in a video game. And especially when we say breaking the meta, it typically means looking at 
the meta game as kind of like the efficiency frontier like what's the best possible way to play a certain game that's that's often also you know perceived as the meta and then um if you want to play better than anyone else oftentimes you have to proactively uh find a new meta you you have to push through that efficiency frontier you have to break the game or break the meta and put everything together in a novel way uh, still within the the same rules and the same frameworks that everyone obeys to um but i think that's where where things get really interesting and i think you cannot only do that in video games but also in life right and so moritz maybe i could try to re-articulate what you said just to make sure i fully understand what you're expressing so it, it kind of to some degree when when we talk about meta in a game so you know a popular game like league of legends there's certain champions or certain combinations of champions that you can use or certain items that you can buy that are more optimal and in a similar way you can think about certain rules or uh, systems in life like you know for example it used to be that you know, for a lot of immigrants, you know, you want to be, you want to go to college, you want to study math, you want to become a doctor, you want to become an engineer, and that's how you win. That's sort of like the meta. Is that a, a fair uh, interpretation of of how you're describing the the meta for life? Or yeah, you I just think that's, be... that's right. Yeah. Okay. I, so often, and, and I think what's important to to know is that the what is the perceived meta is oftentimes not the truly optimal way of of approaching something so obviously you know in 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 the case of academia for example getting a college degree is certainly a good thing to do but oftentimes right. it's glorified as the only path or the best path forward and and those are things that i think one should should challenge if one, once there's group thinking once there's quote-unquote conventional <laughs> wisdom about something being um the standard path I think it's very hard to combine the words standard and and optimal because right. I would argue that that optimal solutions are always somewhat extreme just like any utility function seeks uh you know a global optimum and and sometimes we get lost in the local optima along the right. way but there's a lot here we can <laughs> we can unpack yeah. over and, the course and, of this conversation and and maybe this is a good segue to talking about you, Moritz, in your background, because as I kind of alluded to during the intro, you haven't had like the traditional career path of, you know, and I would consider you to be very successful. And so, so it'd be great to hear more about your background history and, and kind of, you know, how you've interpreted the meta for your own life and, and, and how what you've done to break the meta. Yeah. So I grew up in a rural town in, in Germany. Um, uh, child to two parents who had not attended high school um whose goal you know parental goal was to finish high school and that was the the ultimate goal um and that was possible with a lot of video gaming along the way so my teenage days were uh, filled with daily six to eight hours of playing diablo 2 um at some points uh in 2003 and 2004 better than everyone else in the world um made a good amount of money uh with digital item trading uh, buying and selling digital goods in germany that was in its first year on ebay uh i think around kind of like 2002 or so um far away from the uh, web3 version of truly decentralized digital identity assets and ownership and you know very custodial way of exchanging goods but uh the core was still that people you know 
cared about who they were in game and and what they had in game. And it was for me as a as a high school student uh, a very lucrative way of trading my time and skill in in game for um, for money. That that later on was helpful to fund my um, college and also graduate degrees. Um, I finished high school and because there were no role models in my immediate family environment, I was actually afraid to go to college. Um, I had received from high school a scholarship, full ride scholarship to go to college. And my parents and I, we rejected that because we thought we can't afford a scholarship. We weren't even familiar with scholarships and we thought it was something you had to pay for. We didn't understand that this was financial support. Um, and so I did an extra year uh, of basically just playing video games, starting college a year late. Um, and what I did also was I didn't attend a proper college. Uh, so this is actually not an accredited college from a US perspective. It was a mix of a trade school and a college in conjunction with IBM, uh, where I studied only for one and a half years, and then I did internships for one and a half years across different divisions of IBM. It was great, and IBM was a good playground for me, uh, strong mentors, really amazing management culture there. And they helped me come to the US. Uh, I studied with them together for three years and then also worked with IBM full-time for four years, attended business school at Stanford in the US, and then out of Stanford joined Goldman, initially focused on tech. I looked at myself very much as a tech person. I'd studied computer science, worked with IBM. The gaming stuff had moved into the background. And I was hired to do tech M&A and IPOs, and I did that. There were some good early uh, uh, whoppers with Dell's acquisition of EMC. I think that's still the largest tech deal of all times. Uh, we advised IBM in the acquisition of Red Hat. Uh, working with IBM as a client, of course, was special for me, given all the time spent there. But about a year and a half in at Goldman, I came back to gaming. And I looked at gaming, which was a $150 billion industry at the time, and I was surprised that it didn't receive dedicated coverage focus internally at Goldman, but also really not at any other investment bank, no other consulting company at the time. Um, partners or anyone in charge of possibly covering a sector for such an institution didn't grow up with gaming, and I think dismissed it as something not commercially viable. But looking at the sheer size of it and comparing it to, say, music, which I think was about a $20 billion industry, and it had its, its dedicated coverage practice, just arguing from first principles, it was clear that this was a valuable domain to spend time in. Um, and so even you know, early, as a senior associate, I raised my hand and, and started that gaming practice for Goldman, and it was a lucky moment for me, an amazing four years uh, with immediately relevant commercial uh, contributions, um, gaming M&A and, and IPOs, the same gaming practice uh, advised on the Unity IPO, Roblox IPO, and after I left on the acquisition of, well, probably <laughs> acquisition of uh, Activision by Microsoft and, and take to Zynga deal. Um, and I did that for five years, left Goldman, and then over the last uh, two and a half years worked with Bitcraft, a uh, gaming specialized VC firm, um, mm. was one of the first specialists, uh, gaming specialists, really in venture capital, all um, you know, with the goal of funding emerging game studios, platforms, and tech companies like Leela Games, of course, uh, honorable mention here. <laughs> and um, 
did that for three years. It was an amazing platform. Um, really thankful for the time there. And then uh, most recently, um, very grateful to Lightspeed uh, for that offer to uh, join them and build out a gaming practice for their firm. So it, it I, I think that's, uh, th thanks so much for the um, kind of uh, overview of your career. And I was thinking like maybe a couple things that we could talk about in terms of your own career. Um, and maybe if you were to think about the current meta for success that a lot of other people think about, what, what do you think that is? Because it, it does seem like right now we might be at a point where the world is starting to change, right? Like, for example, there's so much student debt and like this path towards college and that the traditional conventional thinking around going to college and then, you know, going to business school or, or things of that nature. Like, how do you think about the current meta for that people are being advised to be successful in life today? And how do you think they should think about breaking the meta in, 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 in the context that you're thinking about it? Yeah, I mean, I think for most people, the reality is still that, you know, there's a heavy parental pressure to go to college, to learn by heart and repeat, to not take risk, uh, to not be an entrepreneur, but instead rather seek regular, quote unquote, full-time employment, um, to do something traditional, to do something prestigious, to do something safe, uh, to not waste your time playing video games, uh, which was, I yeah. think, by the way, important for my own um, cognitive development uh, of of even even just thinking about a lot of these these concepts um, that we'll get to, but I think a lot of them for me really come from my competitive video gaming um, time. And so I, I, you know, at the same time, the irony is I did actually a lot of traditional things in my life. You know, I mean, going to business school in the United States. Um, joining Goldman in investment banking. But the path there was always extremely non-traditional and trying to to figure things out, especially after not having a proper college degree. Uh, mm -hmm. Really just just trying to weasel your way through uh, almost. And um, yeah, I think the the most important the the most important part in my own path was to always look at life from a very blank slate. There's so many things you can do. And there are actually an incredible amount of things that one can do if you really set your focus and mind to it. And that's oftentimes so much more and so much more interesting stuff than what you know most people do or what your friends do. Because my friends certainly didn't just go to the United States by themselves none of the people I grew up with applied to, you know, any of those schools or any of those employers. It was really an act of similar to actually starting the gaming practice at Goldman to just looking what's out there, looking what's interesting, trying to argue as much as possible from first principles and then figuring out systems and pathways to get there. Yeah. So I, I actually think like a, a couple of interesting points on that is that one of the things that it seemed like you did was you were able to take something that you were passionate about, which is gaming. And at that time, I, you know, for a lot of the younger folks who now, who today believe that, oh yeah, obviously video gaming is, is, is so big and a lot of people have careers and make money from it. But back in those days, it, it, it wasn't that clear cut, right? It was just like, 
uh, a lot of parents, the, the conventional thinking at that time was that wasting your time playing video games was essentially a waste of time. Um, so I, I think that is an interesting um, aspect of, of your background where you were able to um, take something that you were passionate about and parlay that into um, part of what you were doing, wh whether it's from you know your, your work at Goldman Sachs or, um, or what you're doing today. And I, I think that, you know, I, I guess it'd be, um, it, it would be, I, I don't know if it's good advice to, to tell people to, you know, uh, invest in their passions or to invest in something that's not proven today. But I do think that this kind of has to do with, for example, the, the Peter Thiel um, concept of knowing a secret, right? That if, if you are aware of something before it happens, or you're aware of an insight, kind of like you know Mr. Beast in the early days of YouTube, or you with gaming before it became big. That those are often the the times where you know you can have bigger opportunities, and you can leverage um, big industries that that have yet to kind of be the conventional wisdom. But um, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that, and then also this concept of. Um, which I think is related, is your notion of play as a type of experimentation, because I, I think that that is something in, in the world, right, where you may not be sure that the specific passion that you have or the hobby or the thing that you're interested in becomes a big thing or not. So maybe you need to experiment with a few different things, but may, maybe you can talk a little bit about that in terms of your philosophy around the work versus the play. Yeah, and and so maybe if we go all the way back to the the teenage days and playing competitively, um, mm -hmm. I was always taking playing pretty serious too. Um, I joke about this with my mother a lot now because to her, what I was doing was on the surface pretty pretty dumb. Like you know, specific example is uh, the, the the best like, late late uh, game uh, meta for leveling up was uh, at least for most of Diablo 2 and the expansion pack was the secret cow level. So I would spend like five hours, six hours every day harvesting cows in, in, in this cow level with these, uh, you know, pretty ridiculous sounds. And that it, whenever my mother entered the room, that was basically what she saw on my screen. And she's like, oh, my God, you know, are you are you fighting with these cows again? And <laughs> and I was always just like, no, you you don't get it. Like, you know, this this is... This is required to obtain this, which allows us to to be more efficient here, which then gets us there. And um, the, I, I I think even then, um, and it it taught me a lot too. It it taught me to be extremely analytical and structured about things. It taught me English. Uh, Diablo two taught me, I think, the basics of economics and supply and demand. Um, and so there was there was clearly a lot there that's easy to dismiss when um, you just look at it as having fun. Um, and coming back to this idea of play versus work, this was for me, this was a playground to, um, you know, even just train the mind in constraint optimization, in thinking through character layouts, in thinking through how to use your skill tree, how to use your status points, and oftentimes come back to solutions that really were rather unusual, but resulted in a setup that was 
actually better than what was shared in forums online or what other people did. And I said this earlier too, but a lot of the optimal solutions were really quirky and extreme and were actually very counterintuitive. Um, the most, the best way to spend your status points across strength, dexterity, vitality, and, and energy was usually to put them all in vitality and not a single point in anything else. And that's, that's probably not how most people played the game. Um, uh, unique items were very popular. So these were kind of like items in the game that were rather rare, but were also, you know, very, very powerful, predefined items uh, that you could equip your, your character with. And for most people, that was the meta, to find as many unique items as possible, equip them. And there was also, that was a great way of, of playing, but that got you to like 95%. Uh, but to get, to, to cover the remaining 5%, you had to go out of your way through a tedious combination of rare items with random roll statistics that, that needed to happen exactly in the right way and so this is kind of like where we spent the the extra mile and went really deep down the rabbit hole but ultimately resulted in an outcome that was superior to what anyone else was doing um actually just um i'm kind of just thinking out loud and just kind of reacting to what you're saying but one of the things that um i'm kind of thinking about as, as you were talking is that um I, th I think for the audience and especially for younger folks, as they think about their life, I do think that there, that it, I, th I think it's an important concept to think about life in terms of the meta or, you know, basically the, the systems, um, all of, all of the things that you're progressing against to achieve whatever your specific life goals are. And that might be, you know, material success or success in uh, marriage and family or whatever that is. And there, there is a specific path that people are going towards, which may be the conventional path, but a lot of people may be going for that same path. Now, one of the interesting things that, that um, a couple of interesting points that, um, that I took away from when you were talking about is one, like um, being more thoughtful about what that meta is and how you invest your time, right? So like you could invest it in different ways to go to one meta or a different meta and uh, on I think on top of that, um, it seems like and, and a concept we haven't talked about, but which is very popular in game design is this notion of like DNA uh, hybrid cross combination, right? And so like the Japanese have this very popular DNA strategy where they take the systems of one game and the gameplay of another and they just cross it to try to make new games. Riot has a similar approach where they'll take like, let's say, three game pillars from this game, and they'll take a game pillar from another game and try to cross them. And it seems like when I think about you, what you have done is you've taken um, kind of like some of the traditional components of, a, of you know, the, the meta in terms of trying to achieve success, but you've crossed in gaming. And so I, I feel like... Um, the, the 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 last point there that that I felt was interesting is like by by following your notion of play you're able to like experiment with different things that where you know you don't have to necessarily choose a completely new meta for your life but you could try to experiment with different things that you're interested in and then try to cross combine them into what would then become a, a newer meta uh, 
I, yeah, I think, I think, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a very philosophical episode, I guess, for sure. you. But um, <laughs> um, uh, so I let's let's dive into that a little bit deeper. Um, I recognized at some point that while work was going great, this was in in the early professional years at IBM. So I was about twenty five years old. Um, I was very happy with with my work there, and it was very exciting to also do the transfer with them from Germany to the United States. This was pre-business school, pre-Goldman, and, and pre-many other things that are on the on the resume today in, in terms of prestigious ac accomplishments. IBM, obviously, a, a great employer in itself, I think. Um, but I I was very aware of the fact that unlike my colleagues, I did not have that proper university degree. And that was a chip on my shoulder. Um, and so I, I went into my yeah, play mode, problem solving mode, creative mode to figure out um, what, how, how, can I, how can I fix this? How can I you know, effectively cover that part of the, the skill tree if, if, if you want so? And um, I was doing early research on universities that offered online courses and non-degree programs, and it was really not common back then. Um, there, there were a handful, and um, there was one, there was one um, a project at IBM that went really well, and one of the senior executives there uh, told me, great job, can we offer you a training uh, in exchange for what you've done here? And very audaciously, I, I said, yes, I would love to study at Harvard because uh, I had researched these programs. And to me, there was the, the North Star of, of proper academic education. And they said, no problem. And I think this was because IBM was a big executive edu uh, education client back then. And so, um, you know, they placed me directly with professors at Harvard. This was technically my first university education and and I loved it. I took classes in machine learning and quantitative economics. Um, and that was also the point where I said to myself, I would love to um, you know, continue studying at a great university in the United States. For me, that was the MBA. And I basically applied to um, uh, Stanford, Harvard, Wharton, and MIT without a college degree, which at least online, was quoted as a necessary requirement to even be eligible to attend school. Uh, all of these schools used the U.S. system that was, I think, U.S. higher education overarching with drop-down you know, menus where I had to select Germany and then Berlin, and I was looking for my school in Berlin, and you know, it offered me 25 choices for all the Berlin universities, mine wasn't even listed, which meant that no one ever from my school had ever applied to any U.S. higher education institution ever. Um, and I still just, then, then, then my mind goes, okay, so how can I then prove intellectual vitality? And went all in on the standardized tests and wrote an extra letter that explained the special situation with the college. Just literally don't accept no and continue to argue from first principles that really what they're looking for is just are you smart and are there other ways to prove that if you don't have that specific college degree um during the mba most people do one internship i split my summer between two uh goldman and mckinsey which was an intense summer and this was kind of like my 
years of credentials hunting par excellence i i, I guess you know i'm i'm through that phase but I'm, I'm i'm very open about it and did another third internship with the white house and just crammed in as much as possible the White House, again, I was ineligible to work for because uh, you can only work for uh, the White House when you're a U.S. citizen, which I wasn't. And I, I understood that by the time I even put that idea in my head. And it didn't didn't stop me from just sitting down with classmates, alumni, and trying to figure out whether there was a way to make this happen. And ultimately, there was. It took actually only, I think, 10, 20 hours or so of 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 focus um, before before a very interesting project and internship came to fruition. So yes, a lot of traditional stuff, a lot of credentials hunting, um, but uh, and, and probably very chip on the shoulder infused from kind of like the early twenties. But you know, the key message is just don't care what people think is normal or achievable, <clears throat> and. Um, you know, oftentimes just look, 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 look at life as a blank slate. And then also what happens if you do this or that, not 20% more or 30% more? What if you do it 5x or 10x or 20x? Or what if you do something not at all? Like what, what actually breaks and what can you do with that extra time and extra focus? I love to do that. And I, I kind of like reassess that constantly. Right. And it, to some degree, it seems like the way that you were approaching your career in life is almost like a game. Like these are quest objectives, you know, get McKinsey, get, um, you know, get into Stanford Business School, try to do something at Harvard. And it, it seems like even though, you know, you're, you're kind of like viewing it as um, trying to achieve these, these specific quests or missions. But um, is, is that is that how you were thinking about some of this stuff or? So I, I, it must be, frankly, and because I don't know, I don't know where else this would come from. I don't know who would otherwise have put in my head that this is the expectation, because it wasn't in my formative childhood, teenage days. These were not even things that were on the table or ever discussed. I really think the first time I met someone who had an MBA, I was already... 23, 24 years old. Um, one other thing, you know, look, looking at life as a as a quest or 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 a plan. Like one thing that baffles me is also how in work environments, you know, for our companies we build or for um, you know, if we're employees, like work streams or projects, we have these sophisticated project plans and we sit down maybe on an annual or quarterly basis and we think about, okay, what are all the important work streams? What are all the goals for this project? What are all the resources we need? And we do that for work. And we do that because it works. It does increase the chances of actually accomplishing it. But what's wrong with applying the same stuff to your life? And, and yeah. I mean life as a whole. Uh, if you really think that doing this increases your chances of getting where you want to get, why not do the same thing for the relationship with your partner, uh, with uh, what you want to do with your friends, with your family? So I I actually sit down, and, and this also comes back to IBM. So I, I'm very thankful for the time at, at IBM. And um, for about 10 years now, I've been doing initially a 10-year plan. Now it's a five-year plan. 
But every time between uh, around the holidays, I sit down, it's a one pager, and I, I now look at nine dimensions. Uh, career, which is you know, what job am I doing and, and, and <clears throat> what am I working on? Uh, financial, um, financial wealth and giving back to society. So those three I, I group into traditional success, uh, career, wealth, and giving back. Then there's the uh, category of support system, which includes um, my partner, my wife, um, my friends, my family. And then just for fun, I have this category transcendence. Well, not, not for fun, but including for fun, there's this category transcendence, which is uh, physical health and fitness, um, mental health and knowledge, and then also, uh, lastly, spiritual experiences, which for me are non-religious. Um, and I go through what have I done in the last year across these nine areas, and what what, I, what do I want to do in the next four? So the five-year plan is actually one year back, four years forward. And this is an exercise that takes usually two days, three days of being extremely conscious about the upcoming five years and what are all the experiences, things that would really be life enriching. The career part is usually the most boring part. Um, and then the, the, uh, yeah, the social or the self-development parts can be anything from, you know, from uh, prioritizing a shared vacation with parents and, and really being thoughtful about when and, and how to do that to just silly things like getting a tattoo. You know, I, I mean, now, now it's on the arm, but it, it, it took a while. And most people are like, yeah, I want to get a tattoo eventually. Okay, when? This year? Next year? And right. if you're really serious about it, what's the next step? Researching artists, thinking about the motive. So when do you want to do that? And <laughs> I, I, to me, that's so obvious that, you should approach life like that. And I <laughs> I know that I'm probably one of the few who do. Um, but I don't know what you think about that. If you think yeah, it's crazy. Just, if just you, so I understand. Yeah. So it's a five-year plan. You look one year back, you look four years forward. And then across those nine categories, do you, do you rate, do you grade yourself in them? Or do you just come up with different initiatives? Like in financially, you're going to do these things. And, you know, like in your spiritual experiences, you're going to do uh, certain things at the, at certain points in time. Is that, is that how you're doing it? And, and yeah, I do. Please, I do please both. give me some examples yeah, of yeah. your spiritual experiences. I'd, I'd love... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm not sure if we can discuss all of them on a, on a podcast that's publicly broadcasted so people can fill in with their imagination. Um, I do actually grade myself with a okay. traffic lighting uh, red, yellow, uh, and green on, on, yep. on all of these nines, a very, very high level. Um, and then, uh, most of this page, this one page you can really look at as almost like a, a gun chart, like a project plan where mm -hmm. let's take the example of physical fitness. Like what, what are the things, what are training regimes, what are nutrition, uh, uh alcohol consumption or lack thereof, um, uh, you know, sports activities, maybe competitive activities that I want to solve for over the frame of the next four years. And how does that relate also to the past? The, the interesting thing of doing this over 10 years is, is you kind of like see how this rolls forward. Sometimes it's also super interesting how even categories evolve because 
I have only had these nine dimensions for maybe five years. If you look at the first uh, back then 10 year plan that I did, it had two lanes, work and studies. Uh, and their the family wasn't in there and friends wasn't in there and, and mental health and physical health and uh, spiritual experiences uh, all, all wasn't in there. And so it's even in, even in that retrospectively, there's a lot of interesting reason, I think, to, to do this at least somewhat on a regular basis. And it really doesn't take a lot of time and the brainstorming that it brings in itself, I think is very interesting. And naturally you will, transfer things into your consciousness just by having this plan and writing it down it massively right. increases your chance of doing it independent from how good of an executor or how disciplined or diligent of a person you are i translate most of this into a little to-do system i use todoist super simple setup like not, not nothing crazy so one page for planning and then it's kind of like I don't know, 50 to-dos that come out of it at various points over the next four years. You know, it's not like I'm looking at 17 things that I need to do today. Right. And it does seem like this does tie back to your gaming background, because if you think about it, it's, it's this is essentially you having created your own quest system for your life, right? You're, you're, you're building different missions that you need to, to do in your life. So that's, I, I thought, I thought that's kind of interesting, but um are there any, um, can you give us some specific examples of some of the more interesting initiatives that, uh, that you've accomplished? <laughs> yeah, because um, like people people might also be watching this and and saying, oh, it's, um, it's very easy to say you should figure out a way to study at Stanford. You should figure out a way to work at Goldman. These are obviously hard things to do. And um, I, I guess I'm, I'm grateful for having a certain affinity to accomplishing certain things and people have different strengths. But to show that this system works in so many areas for so many people, um, I've, I've used the same setup or base thinking to also experiment a lot on on um, what can I do in terms of challenging myself physically. And I'm not an athlete. I don't have the, the body or genetic predisposition uh, to outperform in sports. I was chubby for most of my teenage days. Well, playing, playing video games excessively didn't exactly help <laughs> with that. Um, I took a DNA test and I have a very high predisposition to overweight. So there's no... There's no giftedness, uh, anything on the on the physical side. So this is mostly discipline and mental strength. Um, but when I moved to the U.S., I thought, you know, all, <laughs> uh, everyone's fat. Most people are. At least that's kind of like the German perspective. And so I um, I thought if I don't start running with all the tasty fast food they have here. Um, I'll, I'll probably get in trouble soon. So I started running and the way I work is like, I literally signed up for the Boston marathon a month after I moved to the U S not having really regularly run before you could do that yeah. back then for, I think a thousand dollar commitment and fundraising, which I thought together with my colleagues at IBM, I could stem that over a course of a couple of months, but there was 
is basically commit, commit and deliver. That's also a framework for me that I use a lot. Just commit to something and then figure out the, the path in between. And frankly, running a marathon is not that crazy. A lot of people are like, oh, I ran a marathon or, you know, someone ran a marathon and it's just like mind boggling accomplishment. It's really not. Um, I think a lot of us who are in somewhat decent shape, even with just a couple of weeks training, could run one in a decent time. Um, and then... Uh, at Stanford, I met a good friend and we kind of pushed each other. Uh, we went from uh, marathon running to uh, triathlons, to Olympic triathlons, to Ironman. We did the Ironman Euro Championship together. And at that point, you're like, okay, what? how, how far can you push this? So we, um, in 2019, we competed in the Marathon des Sables, uh, which is dubbed the hardest foot race on earth. It's a seven-day a self-sufficient ultra marathon through the Moroccan Sahara. Uh, self-sufficient as in you need to take care of your own shelter, food, clothing, and carry everything in a backpack. Uh, it's, it's, it's about it, like 50 mandatory items, including a snake venom pump uh, in case you, you get, get bitten by a snake or, or stung by a scorpion. And it's, it's rough because it's seven marathons. It's rough because it's the Sahara. It's not fun to run on sand. Um, the only warm food is what you can cook with whatever you bring, including the pot and you know whatever it is you want to eat that you're carrying on your back. And somehow we figured that out too and, and did that. And um, later this month, and I, I think I'll be done after, <laughs> after that on the ultra front, is um, on the 31st of January this month, we'll start uh, seven marathons on seven continents in seven consecutive days, uh, starting in Antarctica wow. and making our <laughs> way to Cape Town, Perth, Dubai, Madrid, Fortaleza in Brazil, and then ultimately Miami, which is uh, yeah. planned for February 6th of 2023. Um, and that means we will have completed a marathon on the ground on each continent all within 168 hours from the first step in Antarctica. That's great. And I actually wanted to touch upon that point a little bit, not, not uh, that specifically, but one of the things that you mentioned is this notion of being extreme to achieve uh, something. And I, I, I wanted to, to kind of uh, elaborate a little bit on that because I do think that um, even, you know, uh, for something, as I'll give you a simple example for people, you know, I'm doing a lot of recruiting right now. And in some cases, you know, for some roles, we have thousands of candidates and yet so few of the candidates do anything to distinguish themselves. And I do think that too many people do not think enough about trying to take something to the extreme. Like, how do you make your resume stand out more? Or how can you send me an extra email just showing interest in the position? But like, I feel like to your point, like too many people do things, maybe 20%, 30% more, but don't really take it to the, you know, maybe not even, you don't even have to go 5x, but even just a little bit more to whether it's to get a job or how you've structured your life, achieving these kind of quest objectives. Can you talk about this point about, um, you know, being extreme or giving some mm -hmm. examples of how would you do something 5x more to mm -hmm. achieve something? Well, I think the, so for, first, first, why I think it matters to have extreme spikes 
is just coming back to yeah i don't, I don't know if this is necessarily part of of game design I, I guess it is but it's really it's just mathematics where what if if you have a certain utility function if you're trying to maximize wealth or happiness um chances are that the path to get there is a pretty extreme path and i think that's absolutely true like if you look at wealth look at the wealthiest people in the world those are extreme lives and risks and accomplishments um, that get you there and i would say you only build significant wealth as an entrepreneur never as an employee i mean with very few exceptions um so it's it's literally impossible to really maximize whatever it is that you want to do without really honing in massively into something and to kind of like marry this with the idea of conventional wisdom getting a college degree and you know playing it safe like yes this is this is a good proven strategy but it's like it's if you think of utility almost like a utility plane that has certain spikes you're chasing like some local optima you're all like looking at, at up this mountain and saying this is the peak and this is the ultimate goal but really there's something something completely different going on over there and maybe you only see that once you're here um right. but the trick is really to venture around and look around and what what spikes exist so it'd be very hard for someone to convince me that ideally you don't pursue something seriously in a weird extreme creative unusual way if you really want to have success on you know whatever it is that that you define success with right and, and that then, kind of ties back to your point about play right to find that other yes. maxima mm -hmm. you have to play to be able to try and discover and that. you have to also ignore a lot of other people along along right. the way i think um and maybe i could just kind of jump in i, I remember and maybe oh. this is not super related, but I do remember, um, you know, when I was working at a company called Fun Plus, I had a coworker, and he would often complain to me about how he was never able to um, get a girlfriend. And 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 so I asked him, well, how many girls do you ask out in a week? <laughs> and he said zero. <laughs> and I was like, how many did you ask out over the last three months? And he said zero. <laughs> and I said, well, there there you go. And so I, I, I think a case of extremism for him would be, well, just ask out a hundred girls a week and then, you know, then you can complain. But until you've tried that, you know what I'm saying? Or, or, or think about who it is, what are the character attributes of someone that you would care about or that would make for a good long-term partner? Yeah. And then what environments uh, do you think? such right. people would seek out and, and maybe try and, and find and meet them there versus diving into the lemons market of, of online dating. <laughs> 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 that was rough. Um, yeah. uh, I, I remember now what I wanted to say, because okay. you asked about how, how does one, okay, it's great. Not, let's say we accept the notion that, that pers pursuing extreme things is beneficial by and large, then how does one do that? I think the most important thing is to actually have something that you enjoy. Like I do recognize that I have at least had this joy of trying to questing my way through life and pursuing all of that, that like apart from the things that brought me, 
the mere challenge and the mere pursuit to what uh, was was interesting to me um but especially now i think if you if you want to be the best at something i would say it's impossible to do if you don't love what you do and i know that's yeah. a very common career advice and um you know i think it's totally fair also for for younger folks to go down a bit more of a traditional route and and get some jobs at a big company and and collect some uh, stable, credible stuff on the resume, but just don't get stuck there, right? Like, like, do do ask yourself at some point with with the foundation that you've built yourself. And in my case, that was, you know, IBM, Goldman, banking. Um, trying to come back to if you can do anything, what would you like to do? And for me, there was certainly something in 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 gaming. Um, and then to marry banking and gaming was very counterintuitive, but very lucky in, in in timing and impact and um i've been basically professionally at the intersection of gaming and finance since 2016 um right. through kind of like the most recent boom i would say like the 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 fortnite roblox minecraft era of of gaming um and i love it you know i i really love it i work really hard but a lot of the stuff i work on is things that i I put on myself myself and 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 not someone else and um you know I'm exhausted but smiling and 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 right. so that's that's precious and I think that's necessary to go to great lengths. Yeah, I I totally agree with what you're saying and I I think to some degree it feels like in you know and, and not to get political but it does seem like some people do have a little bit of allergic reaction to extremism, but I, I feel like there's so much, you know, we're, li we're living in an increasingly global society. There's more competition. We've got technology catching up to be able to do a lot of, you know, mediocre tasks from before. And so like it, I, I think the way to be able to create value in this world is to find the things that, to, to your point, that you're passionate about, that you love, so that you can build extreme depth in those areas. Because I think that's where, um, that's where you can differentiate yourself and create the most most value. And maybe your own life example, I think, is a good example of to this point of not only finding like one thing to be extreme at, but like if you have a couple of areas and you can cross them, I think that's, that seems like the, 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 the real trick in, in being able to create um, specific value and a unique value for yourself. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think uh, extreme should be mistaken with aggressive or sure. um, thoughtless, quite the opposite actually. Yeah. Um, and I, I, you know, also one, one important point is that, that what drives you or your own goal or even from a societal perspective like the meta you know we talk about you, know, you used a college degree example a lot and, and now it's maybe shifting to to something else there's a whole creator economy emerging mm -hmm. and, and that's a viable kind of like single entrepreneur um a career for many young people that that's constantly changing similar by the way to to video games um uh, i love playing rocket league and it's it's just fun to see how even the the meta in a game that's seven years old now constant constantly still changes you look at the 
uh, World Championships, the early uh, RLCS Championships in, in Rocket League, and many of the same players were the best back then who are still playing today in you know, top point whatever percentile ranks. And you look at them play in 2016, 17, and I'm, you know, my my toxic trait is thinking like I I could beat those guys. You know, <laughs> maybe today, uh, knowing everything we know about Rocket League, um, but then you see them evolve over time, and we're we're learning new things about this game, even though the mechanics and the physics have not changed at all, right? Like flip resets over the last few years and then most recently i guess really in the last 12 months like wall dashes for example and and that's if you don't know how to do those you're not close to pro but if you look five years ago no one was doing it and it's not because the game changed it's just because no one had figured it out and no one had trained and, and trained it to perfection and moved it into muscle memory but now it's table stakes okay great um I, I thought we could uh, end the conversation with a final question for me to you about this next phase. And so, you know, you're now at light speed, um, you know, I, heading gaming investments, I, I, I presume. Maybe you could tell us a little bit more about specifically what you'll be doing and also just interest, like uh, how that impacts your life and does that impact how you're viewing your kind of life's metagame at all, or how are you doing that? And then, well, yeah, what, maybe a little bit more context in terms of like the role and, and why you decided to do this. Yeah, so um, I've been working in gaming VC since early 2020 now. Um, effectively, the job is to find emerging uh, companies and really, in, in, in most cases, entrepreneurs that have an interesting perspective on what can be built um, either as a game or as a platform or as a technology. Technology can be a bunch of things, you know, that can go from um, blockchain infrastructure to uh, coming up with a novel game engine, uh, novel forms of 3D creation, whether that be photogrammetry or volumetric video or procedurally generated, which is, you know, a big, big topic right now. So, and any any interesting ideas in these domains usually need capital and um and historically at least in gaming this capital was provided by specialists one of the early specialists in that field was bitcraft um where i spent the last two and a half years and lightspeed among just really a one handful of others, I would say, uh, were among the generalist VC firms, the larger VC firms that span a cross of topics, including gaming, that were also looking at gaming, um, but maybe with a handful of investments per year, max. Um, Lightspeed's been around for about 20 years, um, managing about $20 billion in, in capital that can stretch all the way from the seed uh, stage to the, the pre-IPO and investment. And I think it's it's super exciting that that you know a firm of that statute with um, amazing investors and, and, and colleagues takes a chance in building a practice around this idea that gaming is really the future of media, or you know as it stands, the, the largest media category actually. Um, so we'll we'll be um, we'll be having a, a series of events and announcements in in Q1 around this effort. Um, 
but yeah, the the other thing the other thing that's exciting about Lightspeed is it's not a firm that's exclusively focused in the U.S. Uh, they have offices across Europe, Israel, um, India, Southeast Asia, and so this is for us very much also a belief that new ideas and new talent is globally distributed and today has the access to tools to knowledge um, that most likely in the next wave of innovation doesn't come out of the historical epicenters of silicon valley but really can happen anywhere and i know that's that's something that's probably also very deeply integrated in in your hypothesis of success now actually i I do have one final question beyond this which is you have been hosting pretty epic parties, game game dev parties at, at your at your place in Santa Monica. Is that going to continue, or is that all over? <laughs> <laughs> I think that'll be. They, they might might be even more epic, and I'll make a note right now to send you a, a send you an invite for Please something do. we're planning Please in do. March. So <laughs> awesome! All right, cool. Well, Moritz, thank you so much for your time, insights. I I thought this conversation about thinking about life as a game and in terms of the meta was really fascinating and and definitely appreciate your your time and insights. Thanks, Moritz. Thank you.